0: welcome to apartment 29a i'm shosh
1: and i'm megan
0: and we're two best friends who have a lot to say
1: this week we're going to drink breakfast in paris tea by stash while we discuss two jellyfish focused episodes of the podcast ologies with ali ward then we're going to talk about the book the night circus by aaron morgenstern and lastly, we'll end with things that we can't stop thinking about this week, which for Megan is the struggle that goes with learning and for Shosh is a tea party. So Shosh, what do you think of the breakfast in Paris tea by Stash?
0: I think it's a little bit weird.
1: <laughs> yes. That's kind of
0: all that I know to say. So. <laughs> I smelled the tea bag while I was making it, and it smells really, really lemony, like kind of like lemon cleaner. So I wasn't sure that I was going to like it. It's calmed down a bit once you make it, and it's so the smell, I still smell quite a bit of lemon, but it doesn't taste that lemony, Mm -hmm. but I I don't know. It's like a really weird combination of flavors, Mm -hmm. and you don't even smell lemon.
1: I don't. So it's really interesting because I smell the lavender and the bergamot and I don't smell the lemon, but I do taste the lemon and it does smell. There is a, like a cleanser, like a cleaning product scent related to it, but lavender also isn't a lot of, it's like the newest cleaning, not newest, but like, it's like a trend in cleaning products. I don't know if that's where it's coming from but I definitely taste the lemon like at the end I definitely like the aftertaste is definitely lemony
0: yeah I get a lot of lemon in the smell a bit in the taste a tiny bit of lavender and honestly the bergamot's coming through but I wouldn't really I don't it's not as distinct as it is when you drink like earl gray Mm -hmm. which I thought it would just overpower everything, but somehow it doesn't. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. It's a little bit bizarre.
1: Yeah. So this tea actually came to me from a friend and a podcast listener. So thank you, Siobhan, for listening to the podcast. (laughs) Um, But she is a coworker of mine and she gave us these teas and essentially said, I think this is a strange one. You should taste it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we can confirm it is a strange one. <laughs> it is a very
1: strange one, but it's so funny that I like all I smell is lavender and you get so much of the lemon. So it's so weird.
0: We have different noses apparently. For sure. <laughs> it's
1: so interesting though. I love that.
0: That or somehow the mix is different in our tea bags, but I find that hard to believe. Like I if it was loose leaf, I find it a little bit more right. you know, reasonable to think perhaps we could have gotten different amounts of stuff in our in our cups but yeah yeah but these are individual tea bags weird
1: very weird but I'm glad we tried it it's very interesting
0: very interesting it's fun for something different
1: yeah it's kind of growing on me
0: it's growing on me a little bit as well
1: Mm -hmm. I mean at first I was like well I don't hate it (laughs) (laughs)
0: but I don't love it
1: (laughs) but I think I'll probably say that I enjoy it by the end of the podcast
0: yeah I agree the more I drink it the less kind of weird and the more the more I enjoy it I think maybe Mm -hmm. you know you're over the initial shock of the the kind of odd mix Mm -hmm. but Yeah. yeah I don't even know
1: I don't either I did also add some honey so maybe that
0: helped I have some sugar and a little bit of milk in mine. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. I'll definitely well, drink it. It's definitely drinkable. It's just mm-hmm. a little bizarre.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But thank you so much, Shabon, and for introducing me to Stash. So you'll definitely hear that brand come up in the future.
0: <laughs> yes. Thank you for the tea and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. All right. Shall we talk about ologies? Yes. So, I'm so pumped.
1: Show <laughs> sure, she wanna tell us how the how we found this podcast or how it, really this podcast came to us?
0: <laughs> so, as anybody who's listening knows, I love podcasts. <laughs> and anybody that knows me knows I love podcasts because I'm that ridiculous person that is constantly saying, I heard this thing in a podcast, or I listen to this podcast that i really think you'll like i'm gonna send it to you so i do this at work all the time so one of the people that i work with came up to me and he said i have two jellyfish episodes that you need to listen to and he told me all about this and these are actually from i think about a year ago so Mm -hmm. he just knew that they he actually said he's never listened to them He just knew of them and the people that were the guests. So he figured that I would like it because it was really funny because I went up to him to talk to him about it. And and he like kind of followed what I was saying, but like I could tell it wasn't quite clicking. And I was like, have you listened to them? And he was like, oh, no. And I was like, okay, (laughs) never mind. (laughs) So that was kind of funny. But anyways, he, he was the one who told me about these. And he knew that because they were out jellyfish, I would probably like them. Because, you know, podcasts about jellies. So this is a new podcast for me. I had never heard of it. This Ologies with Ali Ward. And I have to say, from the very first minutes of it starting, I really liked the narrator. You know, you kind of just get a feeling right away. The other thing that I really liked about these episodes, just in general, was how whoever has edited this and stuff is amazing Mm -hmm. they put in all these little extra clips and bits or sometimes the host will sort of like break into the conversation to clarify something or summarize some things or give some information more quickly because clearly they've had like a much longer conversation and it's just really well like the way it's put together is just really well done and really enjoyable I agree I was definitely gonna say that yeah so I've only so far listened to the two Jelly episodes, but I do think that this is one I would like to listen to more of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a new episode dropped this week, so it's on my list
1: to listen to so on my list
0: also i just ignored it because we were doing these jelly ones so. <laughs> yes i didn't want to
1: confuse myself
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly but i'm definitely looking forward to it and they also mentioned some other back episodes in these jelly ones that sounded really interesting and appealing so at some point i might have to look into their back catalog as well yeah they,
1: they mentioned one on a coral reef and then they joked that you should go hug a reef And then they're actually like, no, reefs are alive. Don't do that. You don't want to hug the reef. Like leave the reef alone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the first episode was Medusology with Rebecca Helm. And then the second episode was Toxinology, which is Jellyfish Venom with Anna Klompen. And I loved them both. Should we just start maybe with Medusology? So they called her a Medusologist. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want that to be my title. (laughs) I want to be like a self-declared medusologist. I loved it. I was like, this is amazing.
1: Much like the Anna on the show, you can get business cards that say Shoshana Medusologist.
0: (laughs) Right? Well, it was great too, because she was like, oh, I've never been called that before, but it's a really great title. And they Mm -hmm. were joking about it. And so I was like, this is amazing. I was like, I want to be a medusologist. That's so cool. (laughs) I mean, I work with jellies. Exactly. It's a thing. It could happen. It
1: I think it goes on. I think that's how what you should put. Aquarist, medusologist.
0: Yeah, I dig it. I'm there. Yeah. So I actually, I enjoyed both episodes, but I preferred the first one mostly because I really, really, really loved Rebecca Helm and the interactions between the host and, and the guest especially because they were making up words for things and they were literally cracking me up. So it it was just kind of a general conversation where they talked about jellies and working with jellies and keeping jellies and and things. So there wasn't a lot of new information in it for me for you. But yeah, for me. <laughs> but I really I enjoyed hearing it anyways just because obviously I love all things jelly, but also like I said they were making up terminology and things and making jokes and they just had me cracking up I so I just I really really loved it they were so funny
1: that's good yeah though pretty much everything was new for me like I didn't I certainly didn't know that the jellyfish had like three stages of life I no clue I assumed they were they were small and then grew not that they were originally like what they say planula which is a little larva
0: and then the polyps
1: and then jellyfish so I usually
0: yeah it's funny because there were a few things where I wouldn't say they were wrong in the podcast but just I had slightly different feelings or have looked at it slightly differently so for example I don't usually say that jellyfish have three stages I would usually say that they sort of have two distinct life cycles because you have sort of the life cycle of the polyp In that, I include the planula, and then you have the Medusa sort of life cycle. And they kind of overlap, obviously. But so to me, so sometimes when they start to say things, I would get confused. Like at the beginning, she also said something about she had, I don't know, it was like a ton of jellies in her basement or something. And the (laughs) way, but the way she said it, I was really confused for a second. And I was like, that can't be what is she talking about just however she said it and then what it was was she called the polyps jellies yeah which i would never say that i i might say jelly polyps but i wouldn't ever call them jellyfish but she called them jellyfish and it really confused me for a minute and then i was like <laughs> oh it's okay she's just talking about the polyps
1: yeah and then that they clone themselves no mm-hmm. clue i just assumed yep. that like everything else they had babies but they can clone well them. yeah
0: so the polyps you can get new polyps through gametes coming together to form those planula which then settle out but then the polyps themselves can clone themselves so okay. between that you can see how you can get gigantic like amounts of jellyfish places because you can get tons and tons of polyps yeah
1: it's kind of amazing that they're not just taking over
0: everything well, in some places <laughs> they, they do become a problem. I mean, they can, you know, sink ships and clog up power, um, like water intakes to power plants and all kinds of crazy things, yeah. but, but, you know, so if, if they clone themselves, obviously that's same genetics. And then if, right. if a planula settles and becomes a new polyp, that's obviously new genetics.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. It's
0: cool though. Right.
1: Well, yeah. Two ways to reproduce. <laughs> that's awesome. And seriously, like, so I've been watching a lot of Star Trek, so I, you know, Star Trek, the final frontier, but no, the final frontier is the ocean. We have not explored oh, the depths
0: of our true. own It's true, there's planet. so much in the ocean that people just don't know.
1: Yeah. Like, the fact that we know so little about jellyfish? Crazy. Yep.
0: You can probably say that about everything in the ocean. I know. You just know a very small fraction.
1: All right. Quick question for you.
0: What yes. is your favorite type
1: of jellyfish?
0: Oh, you know I can't pick a favorite of any. I know. <laughs> um
1: And also why are moon jellies like seemingly everyone's favorite? Just cuz they're easy and they don't
0: die? Like they're hardy? I think I think they're just the most well-known jelly. Okay. So, keeping jellies is difficult. Yeah, Of the jellies that you can keep, the moon jellies are one of the easiest ones. And the biggest benefit is while it is never a guarantee, they're the closest thing that you have to a guarantee in terms of culturing. So if you're actually going to culture and sustain jellies, they're your best bet. So because of that, and also the fact that they can be used as food for other jellies, they are pretty much a staple if someone is keeping jellies so I think it's just that people see them the most know them the most they're pretty um I love moon jellies they're like classic I probably Mm -hmm. worked with them the most just because I culture tons of them especially because like I said I need them as food sources for other jellies but man I don't know what my favorite would be (laughs) I really like the nettles. The few might be one of my favorites just because they have such nice color. So they're the ones that have like the yellowish bell with the long streaming red tentacles. I really like the purple striped sea nettles too. They kind of have like a white bell with purple markings and really pretty purple tentacles. I don't know though, picking a favorite is impossible. It's my fun. That's one of my favorite
1: things is to make sure Shosh pick a favorite, guys.
0: <laughs> and I never can. I mean, I can say there are a bunch that I like, but I can never just pick one of anything. And what I'm does okay that say about that. me? Is this a problem? No. I love it.
1: But th- I mean, jellies are amazing. Like, they can procreate in multiple ways and, like, use themselves as food, which is kind of weird but also like
0: well so it depends on the the jelly because they won't i don't i'm not sure anybody does but i don't really understand the mechanisms by which they identify self or like similar type of jelly versus other jellies but Mm -hmm. they won't eat like the same type of jelly so like the purple striped sea noodles won't won't eat eat the purple striped sea noodles right but they will eat like moon jelly when i feed it to them and also it's the same okay. with like sti- it's like the same thing with stinging jellies can actually get stung by other species of jellies but they don't seem to react or get stung or show signs of being stung by their own species so that's why yeah. like you can keep a bunch of the same type together but like you can't always mix them
1: so they're like it's immune really to their earth. own venom but not to the venom of other species of the
0: same apparently
1: type of animal so crazy <laughs>
0: The thing that was the coolest about the toxinology episode was when they were talking about the force behind yes. the um, nematocysts firing. So the thing is, is like I know that it's crazy and has like a lot of force, but whatever it was, the amount she said, somehow I did not know that. And I was like, what? It was like really crazy.
1: Yeah, I did not write down the amount, but it was crazy insane and how and how is the jellyfish doing that and not like I don't know finding himself on the other side of the ocean
0: (laughs) well they're like little harpoons firing so I mean they have to have a lot of force but it's just when you hear the actual amount of force it kind of blows your mind
1: yeah so Shosh how many times have you been
0: stung more than I could count. <laughs> I have no idea. Literally every day that I work with jellies. Do you have scars? I don't have scars, but my skin will react. So, well, it depends on the jelly. So different jellies have different strengths of stings it's not a hundred percent because like the box jelly for example is often pretty small and has a really bad sting but generally the size of the jelly will tell you something about the sting because obviously the bigger the jelly the bigger the prey item the Mm -hmm. more sting that it needs to be able to eat you know the the larger food items but It's not always 100% because I find some of the little tiny sea nettles when you're growing them up will actually sting you worse than the big ones. I don't know if that's like a defense mechanism to help grow, you know, help them grow up or what, but so so it's not 100%, but yeah, every day I get stung. I don't have any lasting scars, but depending on what it is that stings me depends on if I'll have a mark. So today, Mm. for example, a tentacle went across my wrist and I had a big red bubbly line,
1: <laughs> but, it, but it's
0: gone now, so you can't you can't really see it. So it depends on how long- You need
1: some sort of hazard pay. <laughs> right?
0: That's right. I work with venom every day. Just say, I, I'm just saying that or amazing. you're like slowly building up an immunity so that if
1: an alien comes with that type of venom, you're going to be safer than the rest of us. I'll them. be the only one to
0: survive. <laughs> Um, yeah, but so it depends on how badly you get stung, which jelly it is. also, you were kind of saying about building up immunity. The thing is, is your skin actually has memory. So it's not actually good because sometimes if you get stung bad, it will make places that you got stung in the past start bothering you. So your skin like remembers getting stung and will sometimes react even if that area hasn't been stung. Mm. So it yeah in general though most of that the jellies to that, want to increase your hazard pay That's <laughs> most of the people that work with jellies and the jellies that you keep in aquariums they're not super bad stings unless you have an allergic reaction so it's more like annoying i mean sometimes it doesn't feel great obviously but i'm just saying it won't actually be really dangerous unless you're have an allergy so just like a bee sting for example you don't love to get stung by a bee but most people will just be like wow that really sucks because it hurts to get stung by a bee but they're fine it's just if you have an allergy then obviously it becomes a really big problem so it's the same sort of jellies interesting i can wear
1: can you wear gloves
0: yeah so yeah that's what i was gonna say i can wear gloves but there's a few problems with that one is just it's annoying because no matter what you do they end up filling with water and stuff so it just drives you crazy for sure but if it wasn't for the other reason I could potentially just put up with that so that I didn't have to be stung constantly but the thing is is that especially when you're working with the sea nettles they often have pretty delicate tentacles so if you wear gloves you can't feel them and you don't know What's happening with them, if they touch you, meaning that you inadvertently just rip them off. Now, the good news is, is with good care, especially if you feed them lots of other jellies, they can grow them back. But obviously, that's Hmm. just takes time and a lot of energy. So obviously, I don't want them to be losing tentacles and having to regrow them all the time. So if I don't wear gloves, then I know and I can just nicely untangle them off of my hand without losing them. So, Hmm. So it's better for the jellies if I get stung, basically. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And I assume that you have only circular tanks because they're not smart enough to deal with the corners of the
0: circular tanks. Yes, jellies and corners and jellies and anything that is not smooth do not mix. So you have to keep them in specialized tanks called Chrysals. and basically you keep them a true chrysal is basically a circle a lot of them are a pseudo chrysal so you basically get the same flow but it kind of looks more like a u but the idea Mm -hmm. is no corners everything has to be smooth and you have to be able to control the water current because it depends on the jellies but a lot of times if you don't have enough water current they'll just fall to the bottom and if you have too much then it's like they're in a washing machine and you can actually tear them up and they'll just like zoom around So that was one of the things that I disagreed with her a little bit Um, when Rebecca Helm was talking about the jellies. She sort of said that they can kind of choose where they want to go and kind of make some decisions about their destinations. And she's not 100% wrong. Some jellies have sensors for light, like especially the ones that require light. So some jellies have a symbiotic relationship with zoantheli, which is a type of algae, same way like corals do so they'll be attracted to the light and so they may you know try to move themselves up in the water column by like pulsing more and stuff but they're not really making decisions like i want to go from point a to point b and knowing where those things are and so i don't know she like i said she made it sound like they can kind of pick their destination from what i know about jellies and from my experience they basically mostly just pulse and then they go wherever the water takes them so they're just kind of at the whim of the ocean currents with mm-hmm. the exception of like I said if they're drawn to light they may sort of move up or down in the water column but
1: interesting yeah. it is so easy to like anthropomorphize so like for me I'm sure I would be like no look it's trying to get up there or something but it would I would know it's my anthropo anthrop- anthropomorphication that's a hard word
0: big words
1: yeah Well, because she
0: was also saying like if you push like poke them they'll actively move away from you and i call bs <laughs> in my in my experience that is not the case they,
1: <laughs> right because you're like hey i'm trying this to get this to move so i can lean this I, area or whatever if i it, poke
0: uh, you I will push you because you're at the whim of whatever, you know, the force of my finger or whatever is knocking into it, but they don't choose to avoid it. And further, I would say, because if you put them in the wrong setup or you accidentally have something, you know, say fall in or a sharp spot or something, they don't avoid it. They'll, they'll literally just keep Carrying themselves up on it. They never, mm-hmm. they never go around it. So it's not like if you drop something in and they bump it and they're like, oh, I don't like that. I won't bump it next time. Right. So. Well,
1: obviously, or they'd be okay in a, in a square tank. Like they would learn right. where the corners are. Right. But so, yeah. so
0: I, like I said, I disagreed a bit with that. I have found sometimes with certain jellies, So the thing is, is like, occasionally you'll get a jelly that will do something you don't want it to, like its bell will flip or it'll start doing kind of like a jiggly kind of pulse or something (laughs) that it's not supposed to do. So if you, some of those ones that get the jiggly kind of pulse, if you give them a really good like bop on the head, sometimes it like, I don't know, resets their circuit or something and they'll be okay. (laughs) It's not scientific, but definitely done it and it's definitely worked so you know (laughs) just bonk the jellies on the head and maybe they'll be okay
1: (laughs) that was so funny and then like speaking of like bonking them on the head like there's a whole conversation that they had about what the that part of the jellyfish is made out of and then if Mm -hmm. you can eat it and it like then she had a whole like insert about its textures that people have posted online that is a fish I don't think I'll be eating or not a fish but a seafood. I, I know their name.
0: Concerned. I actually, as a side note, enjoyed that they had that same little conversation about what, what to call them because everybody knows them as jellyfish. And so the host sort of asked her, you know, how do you feel about that? Because they're not really fish. And she basically said the same thing that like, which is the way that I feel. I pretty much always call them jellies or sea jellies because to me, that is what they are. And it makes more sense, but I don't actually have a problem with jellyfish and if someone else says jellyfish to me or seems confused if I say jellies or sea jellies which sometimes happens like they just don't make the connection then I will switch over to jellyfish just because that is sort of the common thing that everybody knows them by but yeah they are not fish
1: <laughs> yeah I always think of a group of jellies as jellies Plural, like I know that they're what she said they're called a smack I think
0: yeah they're a smack
1: then a singular as a jellyfish Mm. but there's just one I like I I was like it's weird for me to be like oh that's a jelly I think of one as a jellyfish and more than one jellyfishes no one says that so I call them jellies
0: (laughs) I think also I typically are talking about them really generally not like one specific so I also tend to just say jellies because i'm usually mm-hmm. talking about a group of them yeah but... yeah yeah so i
1: learned a lot i also learned in the second episode about the venom that pretty much if you see a jelly that you think might be dead on the beach still don't touch it because it's active venom producing cells can still attack you
0: Yeah. So that's the thing. People see them on the beach and they think because they've washed up and that they're probably dead, that it's fine to touch them, but it's not. So Mm -mm. the thing is about the nematocysts and the jellyfish sting is that they're not really controlling when they're firing. So they're not making like a conscious decision to sting or not sting. So that's why If you come in contact with the jelly, the jelly is not going to eat you, but it doesn't know what's brushing it. It's not making a decision. So something brushes along the tentacles and it says, Hey, that might be food. I'm going to fire now. And so because of that, even after they die, because it's kind of like a whole sort of separate mechanism, all of those little nematocysts can still fire. So until they've completely gone off, you can still get stuck. Even if the jelly is dead, even if it's just a stray tentacle. Yeah. So you know, if if there's like a tentacle on the beach, you might not even see it. Or that can happen, you know, when you're swimming and stuff too. A bit of tentacle can break off and brush against you, so you can actually get stung without even having a jellyfish near you.
1: Yeah, and then I learned that that
0: the episode of Friends is wrong.
1: Don't pee on yourself.
0: Yes, do not pee on yourself if you get. <laughs> but stung. if you can
1: find some like warm water,
0: <laughs> go ahead and flush it out with like nice
1: warm flowing water. Clean. Yeah. So you know.
0: if you ever get stung by a jelly, the first thing to do is to make sure that you remove any tentacle. If, if you, that the most common way, there are other things that will sting you, but the most common thing is if you have sea nettles, the tentacles are what are going to st- sting you. So if you get any kind of tentacle on you and you need to remove that, obviously be careful because it could still have nematocysts that should fire. So Preferably you're going to use tweezers or something else to scrape it off, not just pick it up with your fingers, but get the tentacle off of you so you don't continue to get stung. If you are still near salt water, it can be a good idea to still go into the salt water for a bit. But the if you can use hot water, hot water as hot as you can stand for as long as you can stand, but don't burn yourself, but it will denature the proteins that are in the toxins and help get rid of the sting
1: now you actually know because they did not talk about that specifically on the show and they like in a shortened version did but not in the very thorough explanation we just received so thank you
0: yeah and vinegar products are supposed to help also so there's like the joke that if you're at a picnic at the beach and you get stung you can just put mustard on it i mean i still probably wouldn't recommend that but i kind of think it's funny to think about people just slathering themselves (laughs) in mustard
1: Later on, you just say, oh, I thought I was grabbing the sunscreen. They were right next to each other.
0: <laughs> These are like, I don't know, Aquarius jokes or something. He, 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 put the mustard on it.
1: <laughs> but hey, if you're in that much pain and it works, probably worth trying.
0: Yep, exactly. Alright, any last thoughts on jellies or questions about jellies? Well, this
1: isn't a question. I thought it was funny, She you talked about like the Find there's four types of jellies in her categorization. One of them had like cauliflower looking heads, and I was like, "What?" And then she said there was like a thousand mouths, and I was like, "Yep." I I don't know what I can. That's nightmare inducing for
0: me. Well, you can't see them. I mean, it's not like they're giant mouths like we have. <laughs> You don't even know no, that they're but there. I don't, I don't
1: need to see them. I'm just going to imagine. Now when I look at cauliflower, I'm going to be like, it's like a thousand mouths.
0: <laughs> yeah, some of them have multiple mouths that they eat from, but you don't see it. You can usually see when jellies are eating. You can typically, if you know what you're looking for, see the food move through, mm-hmm. you know, the oral arms and into the stomachs and stuff, but you're My not going to see like actual specific mounts whether they have one or many so it's not really nightmare inducing it's just kind of (laughs) cool it's cool
1: but it's nightmare inducing
0: <laughs> that was actually one of the places where they were cracking me up because jellies kind of just have like a one multifunctional hole and so they were talking about it as the mouth and the anus and calling uh-huh. it the mainus and I was dying I was mm-hmm. like wow I need to remember that because I want to start calling it the manus, mm-hmm
1: Um, It's me being super
0: dorky and stupid again. (laughs) I love it.
1: I loved it. But I also love, like, they asked if they, like, someone asked if they sleep. And so she talked about circadian rhythm because they don't have brains. So it's so interesting to think about creatures that don't have brains.
0: It is interesting because most people don't really think of jellies as sleeping, because again like you said they don't for the most part obviously in general the world is weird and there's exceptions to like everything but in general you know they don't have like real eyes and they don't have brains and you know so people don't think of them as sleeping but actually there was a paper on Cassiopeia the upside down jellies where people thought that they are sleeping and i don't remember the specifics because it's been a very long time now since i've read the paper but basically they were doing tests and looking at them in periods of dark versus periods of light and they based on what they found said that they were sleeping and it wasn't until the light went on that they actually like woke up and became active in different things so they're a jelly that needs a lot of light though so I don't know if you can actually say they're sleeping versus just not as active because the light that they need isn't there but Still it's still interesting, the possibility Mm -hmm. that maybe they're sleeping in some sort of manner. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And then to think I have never thought about a circadian rhythm something in uh, something other than humans. Mm. So like I've thought about the fact that like like plants have a life cycle, like but I hadn't really connected that to the idea of a circadian rhythm and like because I know how to throw mine off, but you know, can you like what does it mean if you have if some if a creature or an animal has a circadian rhythm and like we move them from one location to another, like does that affect the you know what I mean? Like oh, I definitely. never would have thought about like oh. oh yeah no
0: we we think about that a lot because you have to be really careful about lighting cycles. Not so much for jellies because again they don't have brains, <laughs> right? <laughs> and their life cycle is a bit different as well than you know other yeah. things. But it is really important to think about all sorts of stuff, you know, variations, yearly variations in water temperature, lighting variations, all sorts of stuff. So, yeah. it's and so sometimes it,
1: complicated than I it, think it depends on what that.
0: you're trying to do. You know, if you really want something to breed, for example, then you really not need to try to mimic exactly what's happening in their natural environment. Whereas if you're not trying to breathe, you obviously still want them to have, you know, a good and reasonable day and night period and stuff but it's not necessarily you know as specific so like for example the penguins they are on a very specific lighting timed that changes on a very set schedule depending on the time of year whereas right. you know some other things they'll just always stay on their normal this many hours on this many hours off So it depends on what the animals need and also Mm -hmm. what you're trying to do with them and and also how sensitive they are to it. But yeah, Mm -hmm. unfortunately we definitely have to think about all of that stuff.
1: So interesting. I think my last question is how long do you anticipate like when you get a jelly and you have a jelly display, how long do you anticipate the jellies in that display living?
0: So there is not a straightforward answer to that question because there are so, so, so many factors. But in general, if you're keeping, if you're doing like a good job keeping your jellies, of course, avoiding some kind of unforeseen something that happens that's crazy. COVID or whatever. Because you never know yeah. what's going to happen. But um, in general, I would say I would expect my jellies usually to live at least a year. So you can have them longer but a year is i would say a year is good if you get past that it's like it's po- definitely possible I'm, i've had jellies that have lived way past a year but i'm just saying like on average i would say like a year is probably good
1: interesting mainly thinking about it from like a business perspective of if you are the you know owner of the aquarium and you purchase any type of animal but in this case a jelly like how How much money do you like set aside? Because Mm. you know you anticipate you would have. I'm going to say fifty because that just seems like a nice easy number. You know, and so like, well, I have fifty, which means I had to buy sixty to begin with because I anticipate some will not make the transfer or that type of thing. But then I shouldn't have to put money into that particular line item for new ones until approximately 365 days from now.
0: Yeah, interesting. like a year to two years, but there's like so many factors. some oh, yeah. jellies are hardier than others, some like if you're keeping sea nettles how how much you can give them moons and stuff will affect, for example, how quickly they grow their body condition, how long they last, all of those sort of things, so you know food availability again, the species I think the some of the tropical jellies don't usually live as long as the Sort of cold water jellies, so I would again expect them to probably actually have a maximum of a year. Whereas, you know, some of the cold water jellies I would probably expect could go definitely over a year. For example, but interesting. So many lie, factors. I have one more
1: question. Okay, hit me. Are your jellies salt or
0: salt water or water? Salt water. So most people don't keep freshwater jellies. They're found in lots of places but most people yeah don't have them they're not like a commonly kept jelly so all of mine are saltwater jellies
1: and then you have to that create is where the salt water
0: yeah so the bulk the bulk of the species will be saltwater because they'll be ocean ocean jellies mm-hmm. and yeah so then we use synthetic seawater so we mix our own salt water no, my ocean master me, oh. seb makes all of my salt water and he's oh. amazing thank you thank you ocean master <laughs>
1: all right interesting
0: that's what i call him <laughs> <laughs> i love it i mean he's creating sense. ocean that's what he's doing yes. right he's the ocean master so that's gonna go is into his like, business card
1: <laughs> is that like akin though to games master in <laughs> like the hunger games <laughs>
0: Um, maybe in a way, because you know, like salt water is a hot commodity, you know, and so mm-hmm. he makes it and manages it. So if you, you know, don't make him mad, he might not give you the salt water that you need. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> and the woman on the second episode was like, She did not enjoy that process.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is not always fun and it can be a difficult part to keeping any saltwater animals, not just jellies. We obviously make it on a very large scale, but even still, I do not envy Seb because we get two super sacks on a pallet that have to be stored outside because they're really big. So they have to bring them up using a pallet truck and they barely fit in the elevator, like just fit. So you have to be like really good at using the pallet truck and then you have to bring them up and you have to use a lift. Like it's like a like a manual lift. So he has to, you know, hook them on with this big hook and use this chain and like really work. Oh my work. And, then, and then they're on a, a, like a push thing. So it pushes out over the reservoir that holds all of the, the water. And he has oh to cut gosh. them open and drain all the salt out. Then he has to mix it. And then once it's done, he has to pump it over from our mixing vessel to our holding vessel. So it's a lot of work. Uh-huh. Yeah. thank you ocean master thank you so much oh my because God. what I get to do is just turn on the pump and then <laughs> right? go to my area and turn on the salt water and go oh, yay thank you
1: that's amazing because again much like the per like the- Anne on the show she was like yeah I always just imagine going to the ocean and kind of scooping up a bottle scooping up some water and then taking it back <laughs> <laughs> and they were like yeah, you can do that, and some places do, and they filter it, but we need cleaner water than that, and I was like, oh, that makes sense, but I totally imagine, like, getting a really big bucket and putting that big bucket on a truck and taking it to the
0: aquarium. Well, so it depends on where you are, because if you actually are located on a coast, a lot of people will just draw directly in from the ocean. Again, you do have to filter it, but they'll just use ocean water, which again, it's, there's still work in it, but it's a bit easier because, you know, it's a pre-mixed, if you will. Right. But if you're not, you know, if you don't have access to just draw straight from the ocean and, or if you need really sort of clean water, especially if you're trying to do research, then it makes more sense to make it yourself. Cause you'll use really, um, like really filtered water, basically called reverse osmosis water. So you use like really, really clean filtered water to then make your salt water.
1: Amazing. But you Things know, you I were joking. never about, would have thought of.
0: You were joking about putting it on, you know, like a truck and driving it. But at my old aquarium, it was the first inland aquarium, because again, people used to just take it straight from the ocean and they had their own train called the Nautilus and they would literally fill the train with water in Florida. And then the train would take it to the door of the aquarium in Chicago and wow. then they would they would pump it there. And then they had like all these crazy like sort of pulley systems and stuff so they could like move stuff around and things. But yeah, it was crazy.
1: Amazing. So at least I'm not totally crazy, but still. Yeah,
0: they don't do that anymore. They now do the same thing that we do. They <laughs> just mix they now have an ocean master. <laughs> batches. Yeah, they, they now have an ocean master. Exactly, exactly. Amazing.
1: All right. Well, we should probably move on and talk about The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern. I found this book to be
0: surprising. Yeah. I don't know what I expected, but it was not what I got, but I don't mean that in a bad way. I didn't really know anybody who had read this book and so I didn't have a lot of feedback about it, but I just kept seeing it everywhere and so there was no reason to have any sort of preconceived ideas about it, but for some reason, I'm not even sure what I expected it to be. But it just was not what we got. But I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I was super interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I had yeah the exact same experience. The only difference is someone someone along the line had told me that it was weird, and I had interpreted that to mean. I don't know. So sometimes for me, books that are like kind of magical realism aren't always like, they seem weird to me. They're like life, but just not like just slightly off kilter. And I don't always really enjoy that. And so that's what I anticipated getting. And that's not what I got at all. At least not for me. There was, there was magic, but it wasn't, it wasn't like random things doing weird things like it was magicians doing actual magic okay like that doesn't seem weird to me it's not a word weird is not the word I would use so my expectations were just definitely misplaced so I loved it
0: I really loved it too I mean I think I would have loved it regardless but I think sometimes when you have either really good expectations, it can let you down or sort of low or no expectations, it can be really good. And I feel like maybe it did help that I was so surprised because even though I'm not even sure what I thought it was gonna be, but it was so different. I think maybe that that really just kind of shocked me in a good way, but Mm -hmm. it was really well-written, such a sort of unique and interesting story. It really kind of kept, kept you wondering till the end Mm -hmm. Like, I couldn't quite figure out the whole time exactly what was happening. It was, I mean, but in a good way, not like I was confused and lost, just you didn't quite have all of the pieces. You just kept getting Mm -hmm. all these different little parts. I really loved the characters, Mm -hmm. just such a sort of unique group of people that were, it was really cool. I liked sort of the imagery with like the specific colors for the circus and things, Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I did too.
1: I wonder if some of it is, for me, I always have a, like, I'm always intrigued by the circus, but I'm also always sometimes off-put by the circus, you know, because I don't know how they're treating the animals. And I don't know even how they're treating each other sometimes. Um, and like, are it sometimes it feels like it's crossing that line for me into, like are we laughing with them or are we laughing at them? Mm, and the circus, yeah. I feel like it's sometimes crossing that line to we're intentionally laughing at them and they know it and that's okay but is it ever really okay? And so I think I wonder if some of that was like hearing the night circus like because it has the word circus in it. I brought that to mm. the title and to the reading and it because it's not that's not the focus in any way shape or form or it's not about like laughing at people or it's about the relationships it's about the magic it's about
0: well and even uh, the circus most of it wasn't even centered around the things that you think of for circus i mean they did mention some cats although half of them were kittens (laughs) um so they like did mention some cats or whatever but in general it wasn't it wasn't sort of the same things you think of it was like this sort of magical world kind of that they've Mm -hmm. created Mm -hmm. but I you know I had never really thought about it but I wonder if that's where some of my aversion to the book came to as well because I did want to read it because anytime I just see something over and over and over I want to know why you know why so many people have read it why it's sticking around like I just I need to know and so I have to read it so I did want to read it but I had put it off for a long time and it kind of did have like a little bit of an aversion to it and I wonder if it is the same thing that you're saying about the circus because I hadn't really considered that but I don't love the circus like a lot of the historical stuff really bothers me about circuses I don't love the idea of the animals in circuses and mm-hmm. forcing them to travel like that and there's just a lot of things about circuses that I don't like i mean there's like a small few bits that seem cool sort of like in general the same way that like a fair or something could be cool and like the idea of sort of like the acrobats and things like there's like some bits that are you know kind of intriguing about a circus but in general the circus is just not for me Mm -hmm. so i wonder if that is where my sort of slight aversion to this in the first place kind of stemmed from Mm -hmm. you're so
1: smart Yeah, but if you have that aversion, ignore it and read it because it's so good.
0: (laughs) Just really clever, like just really Mm -hmm. well done.
1: Yeah. I love, so And the point of view from the book, like while you're reading the book switches. So sometimes it's written so that you are in the book. So it literally says you are doing this, you are doing that. And then sometimes it's written from the perspective of our main characters.
0: But that switches too. It's not always the same person. Right. right. So it's really interesting because you get a lot of different viewpoints. Mhm.
1: And yet you still don't know the whole picture, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, so the whole story basically centers I think you find out literally right at the beginning, so I don't think it's a spoiler. But basically there's some sort of like game that's happening that you just don't understand and so it's the whole story of these two people who are sort of competing without even really I mean they know that they're in it but they don't understand it they don't know what's going on and how that basically leads to not only how the game plays out but the creation of this night circus and Mm -hmm. it's just really interesting Mm -hmm.
1: yeah their competition is a little bit like an escape room in the sense that like, when you're in an escape room, you know enough to be looking for clues, but you don't oftentimes know what you're actually looking for. So they know enough about the game to be looking for things and kind of want, like, what they can do, but they don't know what the point or what they should be doing.
0: <laughs>
1: so it's kind of... The escape room is the, the closest analogy I can come to. Yeah, that. that's a
0: that's actually a really good analogy. But definitely worth a read. Mm-hmm. I just love that
1: within this, without I don't think this gives anything away, but within there, it's a love story, and within that love story, all the people become important. It's like everyone you meet is important in some way, shape, or form, or becomes a part of the story, or is cared for. So I love the, like, interconnectivity that you get mm. throughout the book. Uh, but I gave it five stars. I also gave it five stars. Uh, we listened to the audio version, which I have to say, I, I don't know what to do with the audio version. So the narration of the audio, audio version? Amazing. top I believe it's the same gentleman who narrated Harry Potter books. So obviously he won a bunch of awards for that. He's very good. Whoever decided where the chapter breaks and how to label the chapter breaks on the audio version. Psycho. Was it their first time? Like I, I, I want to be nice to them, but it's maddening. (laughs) The book has chapters. It had, the book has chapter titles. The, ti- the, the titles of the chapters in the audio version are just whatever he happened to be saying when it switches over.
0: Yeah, whatever it just decided was going to be the next section is just the first line of whatever that is. So occasionally that feels like it lines up with an actual chapter title and you are like, oh, this must be a new chapter. But a lot of times you have no idea. Yeah. And, and then- knowing where you are in the <laughs> book and keeping track of the dates and places because of that became very difficult.
1: Yeah. So strange. And like Shosha's version was ever so slightly different than my version. And so she was like, I'm at part two. I was like, oh, okay. Which is like, I don't know, half the book or something. <laughs> not that far. <laughs> but I, I was like, okay, it's going to take me a little while. You really listened to a lot. And she was like, I don't think I listened to that much. And then we compared where her part two was and where my part two was. They were not. Very different. <laughs> so then I was
0: like, oh, wait, now I have to catch up. <laughs> i was like i thought that i listened to a decent amount but i didn't think it was that much so i was so surprised it was taking you so long to catch up and i was like but now i understand because you thought on, like, i read pictures. like double <laughs> what i actually read yep um,
1: so yeah but yeah so good and it had an, an amazing last line i won't tell you what it is obviously but
0: feel like there could be another book I don't know if there ever will be and I don't know if you know what I mean she intended it to be that way but I feel like she could write another book about this Mm -hmm. there were just so many characters and so much stuff that I've just I feel like there could be more I don't know Mm -hmm. if again that is on her list of books to write Mm-hmm. I honestly yeah, don't, I don't even know. know what other books she's had. So
1: I just looking that up, she had a couple others. So it looks like in 2014, there was a book called Flax Golden Tales 10 sentence stories inspired by photographs taken by her friend Carrie Farrell.
0: Interesting. <laughs>
1: And then in 2019, she came out a book with a book called *The Starless Sea*.
0: I think I've heard of that actually. When did *The Night Circus* come out?
1: It's like I think 24, 2011. Mm. 2011, so.
0: Well, I really I liked her writing. the boat
1: by a little, yeah, right.
0: just, just a baby bit, <laughs> just a wee bit, but I really liked her writing. So that would, cause I think I've heard people talk about the Starless Sea. I think it must've been when it came out because people liked the night circus. So at some point, I, I mean, obviously I don't know what it's about, so I would, I would double check that first, but I'd be interested in checking it out because her writing was really good.
1: Mm-hmm. It is a timeless love story set in a secret underground world, a place of pirates, painters, lovers, liars, and ships that sail upon a starless sea. Wow. Yeah, there's a whole much longer explanation, but that's, I I was like, I can read the short
0: version. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lot, even in the short version. Mm -hmm. Sounds interesting.
1: I'll put that on the want to read. Yeah, add
0: it to the TBR.
1: Oh. Don't get me started on the TBR.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Any last thoughts on the night circus? Read it. I concur. All right. You want to tell us about how the struggle of learning? (laughs) The struggle of learning. (laughs) Yes.
1: So I'm reading a book right now called Limitless Mind. And it is talking about the fact that there's a lot of research to indicate that anyone can learn at pretty much any time lifelong learning Uh, and that there's been in the past this kind of understanding due to iq and other psychological and just sociological ideas or concepts that they're that learning is static so this idea that there are people who are good at math and everybody else is bad at math and people who are good at art and people and nobody you know and everybody else is bad at art and this book is trying to say none of that is true you might have an affinity towards art or an affinity towards math but if you don't it's not because you're you're incapable of learning math or you're incapable of being an artist it is probably because it felt hard and instead of pushing through that And that's actually where the learning occurs is by pushing through where it feels hard. But instead of pushing through, you quit. And so I've been thinking a lot about that this week and kind of comparing it to muscles. So particularly elite athletes oftentimes have to be reminded that the brain is wired to get you to stop working out before you have to because it is your brain is for whatever reason scared to death all the time that it's going to run out of resources so if it sees that you have you know whatever resources there are 20 of them and you're pretty quickly using up 10 of them because you're working out and now it only has 10 it starts to freak out and tells you to stop even though you still have 10 and like you're fine you're you're if you're an elite athlete, you probably make some money and you can go and eat and get back up to 20 pretty quickly. But the brain is just like, I don't know about that. You should probably stop. I'm scared. You've used up half your resources. Quit, 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 quit. And so elite athletes have to learn when to ignore that and when to listen. Because obviously it, they lots of them learn to ignore it and then they ignore it too much and they pull a hamstring. They hurt themselves in some way, shape or form but so elite athletes have to think about what when the brain is telling them to stop and push through that and i think learning is the same the brain is a muscle and of course it's so it is that same like i don't I, i'm i'm tired of this learning <laughs> this math is hurting my brain. I don't care about the psychology anymore. Whatever the subject is, the brain is like, I don't know, this this is a depletion of resources and I don't want to. And so people quit. And if you do that enough times, then of course you don't learn what it is that you were supposed to learn. And so you do feel stupid in whatever field that is. And it just happens that society has been telling particularly women in almost all of the STEM fields that they have static learning and they can't learn those things. When in fact, if we just nurtured the learning and said to women, just keep going. Like the fact that it's hard for you right now means you're about to learn something. So push through that and then you will, you know, you'll, the learning will come just as quickly and just as better as a man, because the man, that's exactly what we already tell them. Like when it gets hard, we're just like, okay, man up go do it but we don't say that to women so of that's course men men further themselves and women go into other fields because where they're not told those things so that's not cool man yeah but so so interesting if we just learn to do what elite athletes do and say to our brain we're going to be fine, Shishu. you, let's push through this, and then there's all this research about when you do that, like, the myelin sheaths in your brain actually, like, get extra coding so that
0: that learning is
1: more cemented, and you can go on to learn other
0: things. That's so interesting. Right? Also about the, like, athletes as well.
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. That's really cool.
1: Yeah.
0: I randomly also heard a baby mention of this somewhere in a podcast i was listening to unfortunately this is a terrible story in the sense that i don't remember which podcast it was but when you mentioned that you want to talk about this i just thought it was so sort of crazy and coincidental that i had just heard it mentioned somewhere not in very much detail because it, it wasn't actually focusing on that it just sort of mentioned it in the context of something else but i had never heard it before that so it's kind of crazy that i heard that right as you're thinking about it
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's super interesting and then it definitely makes you want to tell yourself to push through because I think we're all guilty of maybe not all the time but we're all guilty of giving up on something at some point because oh, it was sure. too much work or too hard yeah, yeah, it's not worth it
1: and there are times where that's okay right so that's like game with like the a- I like that's why I like the athletic analogy because there are times like the the athlete has to stop and there are times where we're just like, I don't, the effort to learn this is more than I want to do. <laughs> and that, you know, like we have to be okay with that um, because it is okay. Like you don't want to hurt yourself. You, you get to make these decisions. Like quitting by itself is not necessarily a bad thing.
0: Right. It just depends on how badly you actually want to learn whatever it is. And what is the context? Is it, women not being encouraged to go into certain fields because they're told you know that they have static learning or is it you just not actually caring and just kind of doing something on a whim and being like all right actually I'm not sure that I care enough to put to put that much effort into it because I don't actually care about the outcome that much Mm
1: -hmm. so yep but as a teacher how can I help facilitate like how can I help my students make that determination like Mm. are you quitting because your brain is just tired or are you quitting because you literally like you've been told all your life that you can't do it or are you quitting because you just really don't want to quitting because you're tired you got to push through quitting because someone has told you that you just can't please push push through through. (laughs) and then because you don't want to like you know okay you still need to do my homework but after that you know you don't want to become a psychologist I get it not everyone does (laughs)
0: right you're an adult you can make those Mm -hmm. decisions for yourself exactly
1: but if you want to be a nurse you better pass my class (laughs) (laughs) right yeah it's interesting to think about and a lot of times you know this thinking comes around it's the way it is expressed is not out of malice you know trying to tell a student who is really struggling, that that's okay. Other people struggle. Maybe this just isn't for you. Like on an individual level doesn't sound bad or limiting, but when when we look up and we use those sociological studies and we notice that we do that more for women than men and we are literally limiting a whole generation, of women from entering specific fields now it, it is a bad thing so it's not done out of malice sometimes it's done out of kindness but it's you yeah, know maybe you need to be mean i don't know
0: i think it's one of those things people just maybe need to be aware of because i don't think most people would even realize that they would be doing it mm-hmm. especially if it's sort of a well-established thing that you say to women for example just as we were t- discussing this oh you've got static learning and that kind of perpetuates so you know you probably can't push through you should think about something else and if that just is the culture and the way mm-hmm. most people might not even realize that they're doing it or that that's even wrong so I think right. it's more about letting people know that that's not the case That mm-hmm. you can push through you can do it
1: hmm yeah and for me, it's about letting my students know, like, this might feel hard, but you can do hard things. So do the hard thing. And that may mean that you should probably try to do my homework starting on Wednesday instead of on Saturday when it's due.
0: Well, and if it's hard, <laughs> a lot of the hardest things are the most worthwhile things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Most so- rewarding too, yeah. So that's what I've been thinking about this week is what's the best way to help people through the struggle.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it can also, again, it's just about knowing, like it can just help you on your own personal level to know I can push through this rather than Mm -hmm. just, I'm going to keep hitting this brick wall over and over and over.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) Just like the athlete, if they know that they can push past that, you know, they just have to get past that mental part telling them that they need to stop and then they can actually keep going and get better it's like you just mm-hmm. need to know that that's actually a possibility mm-hmm. that there is something more and right because if you don't know that then it's easy to be like well I'm tired of just coming up against this wall so I'll just quit if I'm never going to get anywhere
1: mm-hmm. you want to tell us about your tea party yeah I do
0: <laughs> so the thing I've been thinking about is we Because I work with animals, obviously you have to have somebody that's there every single day of the entire year. And so we work on a rotating schedule. So we have essentially like a third of the staff in every single weekend. So we have our own sort of like set groups, if you will, because we always work with the same people. So my weekend crew is amazing. I love them so much. We've had some people come and go through time but the people that are there now the four of us we're kind of like the core people that have been together for like a very long time and we get along really well together we work really well together it's just amazing I'm so happy that they're my weekend crew we all do tons of work so it's not like we're you know just goofing off and not getting stuff done but we always have we always have so much fun on our weekends and a lot of times we'll do themed things so for this past weekend i had tried to ask what we were doing you know are we just bringing random things are we doing a theme and for the first time ever they kind of like blew me off a little bit i was like what are we doing they're like oh don't worry about it oh just bring whatever if you want to and i was like okay well that's a little bit weird but like sure okay and it turns out because they were all scheming behind my back and they threw me a tea party so they were so nice when I got my British citizenship, we weren't, you know, it was during all the COVID stuff and everything was so messed up. So we couldn't do anything. And at the time, they were like, oh, we'll have to have a tea party at some point to celebrate you being British. But that was such a long time ago that I didn't really think about it. But so now they decided that it was time to do it. But of course, they were scheming behind my back and couldn't tell me. <laughs> so they, they were trying to throw me off the, off the scent, apparently. But one of the guys that works with us was like, I actually thought we were a little bit mean to you. (laughs) We were worried that we were just going to put you off completely. And I was like, well, I didn't really think you were mean, but I did think your responses were a little bit odd. But yeah, they surprised me with the most amazing tea party. And they put up decorations and they brought in like actual teapots and teacups and treats and it was amazing and they left some of the decorations up so there was like bunting all over the staff room all week which it won't stay forever but it's been so fun festive and I love it but every day when I walk in I'm like oh my tea party decorations (laughs) did
1: they bring in good tea party food
0: oh yeah it was all kinds of treats like some pastries some muffins Mm. some like little I can't remember their name they're like basically like little cake bites that are amazing I kind of Mm. forgot they existed and then I saw them and I was like oh my god I love those so I ate way too many one of my friends made banana bread which is good in general but I had never tried it with Biscoff spread so it's basically like a cookie spread which I've had that but not on banana bread blew my mind literally blew my mind i want to try that yeah well now i desperately want to make banana bread and so i told amir to get a bunch of bananas at the grocery store but they only had really green ones so i'm currently waiting like five years they're not even ripe yet we've had them already for like a week um but i was like i need to make some so that amir can experience this because it was so good i'm like i might not ever eat banana bread plain again
1: yeah no I want to try that mm, yeah it, it blew bread. my mind I love banana
0: bread mm. all right look I'll make you a deal I will bring a jar of biscoff spread okay if we make or buy some banana bread when I come and visit and we'll make we it but it. yeah <laughs>
1: that's awesome perfect put that Done. on the, on the it's list going on the list <laughs> The random item section. It better not get
0: stolen on my suitcase. Someone's going to be like, Ooh, what's that? Cookie spread? No, it'll be
1: fine. Get your hands off my cookie
0: spread. <laughs> right. Department you tell of them. Homeland Security. Get your hands off my cookie spread. That was amazing. Put a little sign on it. <laughs> cookie spread for Megan do not touch
1: (laughs) awesome that is awesome all right I think we made it to the end of another episode bye everyone bye